Sunday. This morning is a significant moment in the life of our church as we wrap up the wonderful New Testament book of 2 Timothy. I will be reading primarily uh, in this first part of our sermon from the New American Standard Bible. So if you have your NASB on your phone or your uh, Bible that you carried in with you, turn to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. It's in what I affectionately call the T section of the New Testament. You have 1 Timothy, which don't go to chapter 4 of there. 2 Timothy is where we're going. So it's right after 1 Timothy and right before you hit uh, the book of Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we'll be today as we wrap up this book. And as you turn there, I want to take a brief moment to talk about moving couches. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to ask any of you to move a couch right now. But I want you to go back in your memory bank and think about moments in your life when you've had to move and it involved a heavy couch, maybe like the stairs that you see here on the screen, having to go up or down, something like this. And you know from your memory when you lift a couch that at first you and your partner on the other end, you got this, right? You're highly motivated. You lift this couch and you're doing well. But then the longer that you're carrying this couch, a few things happen, no matter what age or shape that you're in. Um, your shoulders begin to get a little tight. <laughs> and your back has that twinge where in the back of your mind you're thinking like, oh yeah, is it lift from the bottom or bend my knees or this, this could really hurt. <laughs> And then ultimately your fingers become a little numb. Have you experienced this before? Yes, a few of you. If you're not raising your hand, I have a wonderful moving ministry. I would love to involve you in here at Calvary Church. Just come talk to me afterwards. We'll plug you in. Kind of serious <laughs> to that. You all should experience moving a couch. But there's this moment when your shoulders are hurting, your back is tight, and your fingers are going numb, and you tell the other person that's carrying this couch, uh, 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 let's, 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 let's let it down for a minute. This is too heavy. And so you swallow your pride and you let it down. Sometimes that's in the middle of the stairs. Sometimes it's at the top or bottom, wherever it is. You say, this is heavy. I need to let go of it. Now, don't you wish life was like that sometimes? When life got heavy, meaning when life is difficult, hard, there's trials, there's obstacles, there's worries, there's stress. When life is heavy, don't you wish you could just kind of drop it like you do that couch when you're moving? I know I do. And life is heavy for us as a church, as a culture, as a world right now. I came across this social media post this week from a New York Times columnist and, and she wrote it like this. If things feel really heavy and hard right now, it's because things are really heavy and hard. Pray, grieve, take time to be silent. We are all very frail and limited people and that is hard. Praying for Afghanistan, Haiti, the Delta variant and friends with COVID. And so life is heavy right now, but that's not a new phenomenon to our culture or to us here in 2021. Paul also experienced a heavy life. And as we come to chapter four, these, 
these last verses, verses 9 through 22, we see how Paul responds when life feels heavy. Now, Paul wasn't necessarily thinking of you and I when he wrote these words to his mentee, his protege, his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul wrote Timothy, these words apply to us. They, they can bring such encouragement and blessing to us here today at the end of August as we experience a heavy life. And so look with me in verses 9 through 16 of chapter 4. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it says this in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. We see here that Paul is, is asking who? He's asking Timothy to come to him. Make every effort. This, this language in the original text would be like, come now. <laughs> As Paul is urging Timothy to bring him support and encouragement. Now, easier said than done. Let me give you a little context of where Paul is and where Timothy is. Paul is in the city of Rome. You ever been there? Paul's in the city of Rome. He's not there on a tour. He's there in prison, the most infamous prison in the entire Roman world. Some people think that he's actually chained at this point in this prison, probably more like a dungeon. So Paul is dictating or writing these words, having someone record it. We'll get there in a minute. And he's getting the word out to Timothy. And he's saying, come to me quickly. Come to me soon. Please make every effort. Now Timothy, when he receives this letter, he's in modern day Turkey. Today, if you were to go from Turkey to Rome, it would take you a little bit of time. You'd go to Istanbul. You'd get into that new, brand new international airport. You'd hop on um, United Arab Emirates plane, cheapest flight around, and you'd take it two hours and 25 minutes, and you would land in the beautiful ancient city of Rome. But for Timothy, when he receives this instruction from Paul to come to me quickly, come to me soon, it's going to take a little bit more work than just jumping on a plane at the airport. For Timothy, it will involve boats and walking Lots and lots of travel. In fact, the estimate is that it would take Timothy from Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, it would take him five months to get to Paul. But he's saying here, make every effort. So Paul, uh, the first three and a half chapters of 2 Timothy, he's saying things like, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Face persecution. And know that God is faithful. But here in verse 9 of chapter 4, Paul reveals a bit about his emotional state. Yes, he's confident and he's courageous and, and he's trusting God. He said, I fought the good fight. But Paul also is lonely. He's hurting. His life feels really heavy. Look at verse 10. You kind of get an indication why. It says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Don't be a Demas. 
Demas was referred to in other parts of the scripture as a faithful worker. He was part of the inner circle with Paul in ministry. But Demas, for whatever reasons, maybe it was just the intensity of persecution in Rome, but he says, I'm out. It's not worth the risk. The cost is too high. And so Demas leaves. So Paul misses this this co-worker in the Lord who had been working with him. And then it goes on in verse 10 to say that Crescens or Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, maybe these were more noble purposes. Maybe they were just feeling called by the Lord to go build up the churches there. There's some evidence that both of those men became leaders in the first century church. In fact, Titus going to Dalmatia, Dalmatia is modern-day Croatia, where our own ministry partners, Steve and Jenny Meeker, have been serving faithfully for 25-plus years in Croatia. And so they stand on the shoulders of people like Titus. It's pretty cool. But whatever the motivation or reasons, Paul has lost three of his buddies. Demas to the world and these other two guys to other callings. And so Paul is revealing his emotional state. Life is heavy and he feels alone. Look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Luke is called in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, as the faithful doctor. (laughs) He was faithful to Paul. He accompanied Paul to Rome. It was worth the risk for Luke. Luke is standing with Paul. In fact, there's some good evidence that Luke is the one that's writing 2 Timothy. That, That Paul in chains is dictating what to say to Timothy And that Luke is the one that's recording it. Oh, by the way, this is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke and wrote Acts. (laughs) So this, this is Luke, right? And so he's saying Luke is with me. And then look at the next line. Take along Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me in service. Oh, this is like a whole sermon right here. But I'll, I'll try to keep it short for our time period. But Mark was known in Acts 13 as one who had abandoned Paul and Barnabas. They were on their first missionary journey. Things were going well. And then Mark's like, I got to go home. (laughs) And he leaves. And that really injures Paul. Paul at that point says, I can't trust Mark. And we know that because later Barnabas brings Mark with him and goes, hey, hey, Paul, remember Mark? Yeah, he kind of had a mess up, but he's back now and, and he wants to serve with us. And Paul says, no way. I don't trust that guy. I don't, I don't want him on our team. And it causes such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they end up splitting in ministry. It's one of the first church splits in church history. It's really sad. Mark was the cause of that. But then look what he says here, what Paul says about Mark now. He says, take along Mark, bring him with you, for he is, what? It says in my Bible, useful for service. So Mark went in Paul's eyes from being useless to useful. What a reconciliation that Mark and Paul had had. 
Isn't it cool just to see that little line shows you that, that their relationship had been repaired, that trust had been restored, that, that now Paul sees Mark as, as a faithful brother in Jesus Christ. What that shows me is that in any situation as followers of Jesus, God can reconcile people. Amen? Maybe there's someone in your life who you have a broken relationship with. Don't give up in allowing the Lord to bring reconciliation between you and that person under the headship of Jesus. If we can be reconciled to Jesus, to the Father through Jesus, then we have hope that any relationship here on earth can be reconciled by Jesus. Mark and Paul are a perfect example of that. Oh, by the way, Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. So imagine this small group, this life group. Paul's calling these people together and it's Luke, it's Timothy, one of the first century leaders of the church, and it's Mark. Can you imagine like you're the fifth member of that um, small group? You like get together on day number one like for introductions and you're like, okay, hi, my name's Paul. I'm going to be the leader of this life group and let's just kind of go around and just kind of introduce ourselves. Uh, you know, Luke, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Luke. Um, I kind of walked through um, the building of the church in the first century. I also uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts inspired by the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Luke. Thanks for coming. Hi, I'm Mark. Um, yeah, I had a little bit of a mess up in my life, but God restored me. And um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I wrote um, the Gospel of, of Mark. Um, hi, I'm Timothy. I had a couple books in the Bible written to me. One of the leaders of the first century church. And, and, and what's your name? <laughs> I'm Matt Doan. I, <laughs> I need to leave. This is the wrong life group for me. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your plight uh, laughing there. <laughs> My point, though, is this. Is that Paul needed friends. Paul, in his emotional state of feeling lonely, needed godly friends around him. Life was heavy. So he calls these men and he says, come to me quickly. I need your encouragement and I actually need some physical support from you. Look at verse 13. Or verse 12, I skipped that one. Verse 12 says, but I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. This is probably the carrier of the letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy was Tychicus. So God has a role for every person. Tychicus, you know, just kind of a name in the Bible, but he was the guy that carried the letter of 2 Timothy all the way back to Timothy. Verse 13, though, Paul asks for some material things. He says, when you come, bring the overcoat which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the, partment, the parchments. And so here... Paul is asking for just physical things. I, I need my coat because Rome gets cold in the winter. And I need my parchments. Parchments here is probably, we're guessing, I'm guessing, the Bible. The Old Testament scriptures. Or, or at least portions of scripture. Maybe it's even some notes that Paul had taken along his missionary journeys. So Paul, when life gets heavy, says, come visit me. I need some godly friends. And I need a jacket and I need the Bible. And that's Paul's response when he felt the weight of loneliness. 
And then he says, verse 14, but be careful of this. Alexander the coppersmith. (laughs) This is his name forever known in the scriptures. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself too, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. So he's saying, come to me quickly, bring some material things for me, but be on guard because there's opposition. What we've learned here in 2 Timothy is it's worth the risk, but one of the risks is there will always be opposition to the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we have an opposer. We have an accuser, Satan himself who does not want the advancement of the good news of Jesus to continue. And it's futile in his attempts because he ultimately will be defeated. He's already been defeated at the cross, but ultimately he'll be defeated once and for all. But there'll always be opposition in your life. There'll always be naysayers and critics and those that oppose the message of Jesus. Be prepared for it, 2 Timothy tells us. And it's no different for Paul himself. Alexander was one of those people. In fact, Alexander might have been the person who turned in Paul to prison. He could have been that person who who notified the Roman authorities and said, this guy's causing trouble. Not for any crimes he'd committed, but just for talking about Jesus. And then look at verse 16. You see the depth of Paul's loneliness. He says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. And there's some context of first century that we have to kind of unpack to to really understand uh, just what's happening here in this verse. Paul says, at my first defense, in a Roman um, courtroom, your first defense was when you would call witnesses. Your first defense was that stage after you were arrested where you'd say, hey, here's somebody or people who can vouch for me. They, they, they can say that I wasn't there at the moment of the crime. I have an alibi. Or they can say that the, the accusations against me are not true. They're, they're trumped up. They're, they're, they're false. Who was defending Paul in this moment? Look, look again. What does it say? At my first defense, the, the moment when he could call witnesses... So Paul, in that courtroom, the judge says, who are your witnesses? And Paul looks over his shoulder and there's no one. Why? Was it because he was guilty? No. Maybe it's because of the cost of what it would have taken for a witness to stand up. Maybe it was because it was under the secret of night and no one actually knew. None of Paul's supporters or or fellow ministers of the gospel understood or knew that he was actually in court. We don't know the reason, but what we do know is that Paul was completely alone. When life feels heavy, boy, it's a lonely feeling, huh? When you get that cancer diagnosis, it feels pretty lonely, When you get let go of your position because they're downsizing and life feels really heavy, it's a pretty lonely feeling. When you're persecuted for following Jesus, it's pretty lonely. Paul was feeling the loneliness of this. He's calling on friends to say, come, come support me, bring my physical needs. Come pray with me, encourage me. 
And come remind me of this, of who stands with me. Paul understood who stood with him in his loneliness, in his life being heavy. Look at verse 17. It says, but the Lord stood with me. Pretty good person to stand with you, isn't it? This is Soli. Soli was the um, therapy dog for President George H. Bush. The last year of uh, George H. Bush's life. And George Bush had all kinds of physical ailments and problems. His wife Barbara had already passed away. And, and Soli filled this spot of affection for the president. And at his funeral, you can see from this photo that Soli would not leave the side of the casket. Isn't that powerful? I came across this photo. So the, Paral the Olympics just happened, right, in Tokyo. But actually starting this week in Tokyo is the Paralympics. And one of the events that they do is called blind racing. Where they have an athlete who is legally blind and they're holding a piece of rope with a, a, a sight runner and they run together. This is actually the fastest Paralympic in the world. And he's from the U.S. Go USA. <laughs> but he holds the rope next to the sight runner and they fly down that track. Actually, I got way into researching this and he is only one second off Usain Bolt's record, which is amazing. It's kind of a neat metaphor though. I mean, how cool would it be to have a guide dog who was so loyal to you in your last remaining days? How cool would it be to have a fast runner to accomplish, accompany you in a race? We have something better than that, you guys. We have Jesus to stand with us. When life gets heavy, when it gets heavy, when you just want to drop the couch, the Lord stands with you. Oh. Acts chapter 23, verse 11 is a passage that I'm sure I've read before. I've read the Bible in a year. I actually had a, a, a class in seminary on the book of Acts, which I did all my paperwork for. Just a reminder on that, okay? Previous sermon. <laughs> but I don't remember this verse until this week I came across it. Have you ever had that in the Bible? You just come across a scripture and you're like, I don't remember ever seeing that before. But here is a significant part of Acts and Paul's story in Acts 23.11. It says Paul is in prison, not in Rome this time, but in Jerusalem. Paul is in prison in Jerusalem. This is earlier in his life. And it said the Lord stood with him. So maybe you remember on the road to Damascus, Paul had this incredible experience, his conversion experience, where Jesus himself shows up and says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul sees the risen Jesus and, and he gives his life to Jesus. But this is actually the second time now that Jesus shows up to Paul. Did you know that? There's a second occurrence where Jesus shows up in the cell of Paul in Jerusalem. And he says those words, be courageous. And then he goes on in this passage to say this, for I have as you have testified in the truth about me in Jerusalem, 
so you must testify in Rome also. So Jesus shows up to the cell of Paul in Jerusalem, a moment of heaviness for Paul. He says, be courageous. I'm standing with you. And oh, by the way, your next mission is to go to Rome. And did Paul listen? Did he obey? He did. Paul now finds himself in a Roman prison, but no doubt remembering what Jesus had told him back in Jerusalem, verse, 16, or verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear. When life gets heavy, you're aging and your body's breaking down, life's heavy, the Lord is with you. When you start a new semester and the syllabus gets plopped on your desk, or actually they don't do that anymore, it's on your iPad or whatever device you have. When you're reading through your syllabus and life feels heavy of all the work you have to do, college student, the Lord stands with you. When relationships get messy, the Lord stands with you. When the vaccination ordinances come down and you're stressed about that, what that means for your family, the Lord stands with you. Know this truth. Paul knew it. He's calling his friends to remind him of that. I'm challenging us to remember that too. And then it says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Did Paul, was he ultimately rescued? Yes. From death? No. There's tradition that Paul was, and just kind of brace yourself for this, Paul was beheaded with an ax in this season of his life. So Paul wasn't rescued from capital punishment at the hands of the Roman government. But Paul was ultimately rescued into the heavenly kingdom where Jesus reigns. Look at this. You brought me safely into the heavenly kingdom. And then he breaks out in worship. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that so good? Paul just saying here, my life is about giving glory to God. He will rescue me, whether it's in this life or for eternity. I can trust God. The God who stands with me will strengthen me, will ultimately rescue me. So what does this mean for us? A couple things. My brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need community. We need Godly friends to come alongside of us when life feels heavy. During 2 Timothy, one of the burdens of our preaching has been to warn you to be gentle in this hostile culture. We've been challenging each other to, hey, walk in gentleness and grace. Because you can have the truth, but you can ruin the message by how you present it. Be careful, be gentle. Avoid things like Christian nationalism that takes you away from the good news of Jesus. We've been preaching that through this book as it's come up. But also, I want to challenge you here in this last few moments of 2 Timothy. 
don't go alone. Don't go alone. This Christian life isn't meant to be alone because life isn't a matter of when, if it will get heavy, it's when it will get heavy. Life will get heavy for you. You need to be able to call your Mark, your Luke, your Timothy to come encourage you and vice versa. People need to be able to call you to say, hey, remind me that the Lord stands with me. It's not feeling like it right now. I need you to remind me of that. Oh yeah, and bring my jacket and my Bible. I just want to urge us, plead with us, be in community. The stats here at Calvary Church show that the majority of us are not in community. We're not in a life group. We're not joining and meeting regularly with people to encourage us or that we can encourage. And I think it's a real burden that we have as, as pastoral staff. And hear this from a humble place, a pastoral place. You've got to be with other people. You can't just come in and go or, or watch online and then click off. You need to be in community. Paul sets an example of that. When life was heavy, he found that. And ultimately the Lord used that. And then one more thing. In the heaviness of life, bless people. It's not all about us. Look for opportunities to bless and encourage others. Paul's doing that here in verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Aniferous. Erastus remained at Corinth, but I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He's basically just caring for people as he mentions their names here in this letter. Verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. So Paul is still being a pastor in the midst of facing his execution and being in chains and, and having his own emotional heaviness and worries. Paul is still caring for other people. I think that's a great model for us. Now there's times for soul care. When you get wheeled into surgery, you're not asking the doctor, hey, anything I can do for you? <laughs> there's times when we just need to be on the sidelines and, and receive. But there's also times, even when life is heavy, that we're called to reach out, bless, and encourage others. Amen?